It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This is Larry H. Russell, host of Celtics Beat and author of Follow the Boston Celtics. Thank you yet again for downloading the number one podcast on the web dedicated to the NBA's winningest franchise, Celtics Beat. CLNS Radio truly values your patronage. Because of your loyalty to making Celtics Beat the most downloaded weekly Celtics podcast online, we would love to offer a free copy of my critically acclaimed book available at clnsradio.com slash book. That's clnsradio.com slash book. Happy reading and enjoy today's broadcast. Today is Sunday, April 24th, 2016. This is Sullex Beat on CLNS Radio, and I am Larry H. Russell in the thick of the 2016 Eastern Conference Quarter Final Series with the Celts. Getting on the board Friday, they are now down two games to one to the Atlanta Hawks with Game 4 on tap at 6 p.m. Eastern Time this evening in Boston. Just reminding those who may have forgotten already, but therefore, only makes sense for today's show to feature Hawk Feet reporter Chris Vivlamore of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Much of our audience has been catching Viv in our pregame shows, which are the first pregame shows to be released anywhere in the lead-up to tip. And today, with Sunday's Game 4, as always, the pregame show is here on Celtics Beat, so we got Chris here for that. And a talk shop with him as well on this series this far. A lot going on. Therefore, since there is so much going on, Justin pulling up Celtics stuff live will stop by if that's not enough. Plus me on episode number 154 of Celtics Beat, which this week is being presented by SeatGeek and American Farmers Network.com. Boston, as stated, finally getting on the board for game three. Hip, hip, hooray. Great game. Great crowd. Oh, my goodness. I tell you those 8 p.m. tips in Boston in the playoffs. I should look up Boston's record, but tip-offs after 8 or 8. I wonder what the Celtics record is when, when it's that. Giving fans an extra hour and a Friday night, no less. Made huge differences in the past. Put, put a Friday night together. Boy, did the fans do their part in providing the hometown team a major adrenaline rush. Certainly there was more to it than that, but make no mistake about it. I said it after Game 1 of Chris Forsberg. Really thought if Game 1 were in Boston the way the Celtics played that night, they would have won. That home court was the difference in Game 1. Likewise, it was the case in Game 3 Friday night. So I wanted to talk more about the ins and outs of the game with our guests. Chris Vivlamore should really provide an interesting perspective with his coverage of the Hawks. But most importantly, the Celts, they are not getting swept. It is, I know it doesn't sound like much, but it is a success, especially when you consider all that's going on with the team right now with the injuries. I have actually been saying it for an eternity, as long as they don't get swept, largely because of what they got going with that Brooklyn Nets pick this May. That is what I'm really focused on. But as long as they don't get—it's done. They didn't, and everyone makes it out of this series 
whether it ends or well, everyone actually makes it out of this season healthy. That we do not know yet. Yet. So far, actually, not so good. For Twitter shout-out, at Hans02421, telling Kelly Olenek to man up and get a cortisol shot. No, not from me. Good God. Actually, hell no. Should be players be injecting synthetic hormones, a.k.a. steroids, in them to trot them out there for first-round playoff series in a season in which the Celts can't win a title. This one... Likewise, probably will not even win a first and definitely not a second round series. So there's absolutely no chance that even be considered in my eyes. Cortisol shots, I mean, they have been scientifically proven to have long-term negative impacts on one's hormonal system and thus their personal health. So I actually think it's ridiculous for that to even be a consideration in a playoff series like this. Even just going out there without one, I mean, playing the pain, risking further injury. I won't accept that. I'm sorry. I mean, Adhans02421. I appreciate the tweet. I appreciate you sort of get me on this. And I thank you so much for listening to the show. But I thorough, I disagree with you wholeheartedly here. I am as for this team, trying to be as competitive as can be. I feel like I was a voice in the wilderness at this time last year when the Celtics made a charge. And I was actually happy as a fan. A lot of people wanted the team to miss the playoffs. But first-round playoff games and so-called playoff experience in this aspect does not trump the health and well-being of these players like Olenek, like Avery Bradley, and even Jay Crowder, who I want to talk about with some of our guests. Personally, I don't think he should be playing. I mean, yes, his defense has been great on Paul Millsap, but again, he's barely a net positive for this team, and likewise, there's just too much at risk. So as enjoyable as Friday night was and as enjoyable playoff basketball is, I put a greater premium on the well-being of the assets, there's that word again, on this team, and I, I do, and I think fans will agree with me, once we start getting a little deeper into the offseason and the rumor mill starts beginning to see them, it's all spur of the moment here stuff, Matt, but there were two stories on Friday night, one being the actual game. Story two, Isaiah Thomas, no, not the playoff career high 42 points we got the news now broke i believe at around 2 30 ish saturday afternoon that means we can actually talk about basketball with our guests and not horse crap so story two isaiah thomas he's clean he will not serve a suspension and will play in game four thank god no not just for the celtics i, I mean i don't even think any of this this is vindication for the nba because it seems like there's every three or four years or so there's a playoff series that hangs in the balance because of some stupid league suspension or potential suspension because i mean oh my goodness these players are getting a little too emotional to me they may make a odd basketball play in a playoff series. Oh, no violence. There's absolutely no place for violence in this world. Other than the fact that except the whole civilized world was built on violence, this country, America, was founded upon violence and evolved upon violence. Do we forget about things like that? How horrible, the horrifying of what terrible violence. I mean, the trivialness of it, the fears of fights breaking out, spilling into the crowd, potential lawsuits on hand. I get it, but I'm sorry. The repercussions that there are by deliberately trying to eradicate the emotions of the game by micromanaging every last instance of uh, non-basketball play, it's just that's preposterous. And it's quite frankly... Girly, I guess, if that's the word that we can use. Dennis Schroeder, you are soft. You are weak. Tweeting an image of Thomas hitting him in the face with a whiny he started it message. I mean, my goodness, it's just, I mean, it's not the NBA, too. It's the world. What is this country coming to with being so horrified by the most trivial forms of assault? I mean, now we're attacking speech with hate crimes and, and bullying. And, I mean, well, let's just stick with the NBA. It's the NBA playoffs. Goodness, the emotions increase in the playoffs. That is what we want as fans. Therefore, it may get a little chippy and feisty. Is there really an issue with that? I guess the corporate suits think it's so as they maintain these ridiculous regular season rules of not being able to step onto a court during an altercation, no matter how harmless it is. Any act of a non-basketball player is reviewable for suspension. And as stated, this garbage comes along where playoff series 
that can get emotional can be decided on some stupid technicalities and rules that are mechanized to prevent fights in the NBA. Re, the New York Knicks, getting virtually their entire team suspended in the 1997 East Semis against Miami. That single-handedly cost the Knicks that series after being up 3-1. Go to 2007, a little more recently. Oh, almost 10 years ago. It makes me feel a little old. But that was a series. That was essentially the de facto version of the NBA Finals. The Suns lost to Mare Sotomayor because he was at the scores table after Robert Ory barreled over Steve Nash in a blowout win in San Antonio in Game 4. So Sotomayor and a few other key Suns players, I believe it was Raja Bell, they were suspended for Game 5, which was in Phoenix. I mean, that, It's a joke. I mean, let them play. Let them be themselves. We never see these players as themselves. Everything is masked behind the advertising dollar. Now there are times we see a little life in these guys, even if it's, you know, violence. We see that side of them. That's good in my eyes. But Thomas will play in Game 4. But the fact that this hogwash even cost me those ounces of oxygen is utterly infuriating. If you want to go after the integrity of the game, I'm all for a suspension on Marcus Smart. Do something to him to end his boorish flopping. I've had enough of it. And at this point, it's going to cost him because the refs will not buy his BS anymore. No, I was not laughing at stupid Vine videos like Childish Millennials would. His flopping is utterly appalling. And it's just stupid. The guy's made a glass anyways. What's he doing jumping five feet in the air and landing flat on his back on a hardwood floor it, it it's stupid it needs to cease and if the league isn't going to do anything the team should i've never seen a celtic in the history of the franchise that that does this crap so it's just not a celtic thing to do i'm, I'm wired up right now do you see this with me and i need to cool off a little bit here because bang i just look at the dial and there he is and we are in the midst of the nba playoffs we got our guess but i see him right there on the switchboard chris vivlamore of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. He is here with us, per usual at this point. Thanks for getting me sort of a little bit now. I can cool off a little bit, Chris, but I'm, I'm, so I'm happy you did this. But Chris is the Hawks uh, beat reporter for the AJC. Uh, Viv, you saw it. The one thing we discussed on the pregame show prior to Game 3 back on Friday night, and for our audience who missed CLNS Radio's pre- and post-game shows are on the CLNS Radio mobile app, including the pregame show with Viv prior to Game 3. Chris, both of us have accepted that the Hawks, they are the better team, certainly in this series, the how Atlanta matches up with Boston and the fact that the Celts are already missing some key components. Some other guys have slowed down as well. But we talked about it, and you felt more strongly about this than me, and that's you know you being around the Hawks and all, but you've thrown around the word complacency when it comes to them. You've coupled that with the Hawks. And walking into what we both knew would be a madhouse, the 8 p.m. tip, how much of it was Atlanta complacency and how much of it was a desperate Boston team playing in front of a raucous crowd? No, it was definitely the latter. I mean, I don't think the Hawks were pleased with the way they came out, at least defensively. But, I mean, that's just a crazy, crazy crowd. I mean, from the get-go, that, that was a nuts atmosphere, maybe one of the most crazy I've been in in a long time. Um, so, I mean, that's just, that's so hard to overcome. Um, and the, the start they got off to now credit the Hawks for battling all the way back and actually taking a brief lead. But, uh, I, you know, I, I don't think they were happy with their defense. I think there were issues. Uh, they certainly let Isaiah Thomas get away from them. Uh, but I, I don't, I would not in this case say it was them being complacent. That just, that was. That was about as fun as an NBA playoff atmosphere as I'd been in in a long time. Yeah, we talked about after game one, or at least I made this point. I think I made it with you, but while I've accepted Atlanta is the better team and they're just not a good matchup for Boston, game one was a game, and I told us to you where one can easily say that home court decided that game with both how the teams played, and you saw role guys. They rode a hot crowd. Mike Scott was one, Kent Bazemore. 
Uh, it's amazing yeah. what it does, especially with the way Boston did. The comfort level for some of these other guys, the adrenaline rush, and you know, definitely last night, Jonas Jarepko and Amir Johnson were the ones who sort of jumped out at right, right out at me in terms of r- riding a crowd. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the look at the Celtics' first basket is that put-back jam by Jarepko. That's just, and then the place really goes into a zoo. And I think the Hawks have obviously been through playoffs uh, experiences before and, you know, they've got some young guys, but, uh, but that was, again, that was unlike anything they went through in, you know, game sixes in, you know, Brooklyn and Washington last year. And even uh, it was close to, you know, what Cleveland was able to do in game four to close them out uh, last year in the Eastern conference finals. I mean, that was, that, that was crazy. <laughs> You got to watch for one thing, though. I haven't been going to the games for years. I still have my season tickets. And by the way, I'm really hoping for a game six because I've sold my game six tickets. I'm really in no rush to give that money back to the person I did. So (laughs) one thing to watch for, though, with game four, not sure that Boston crowd can replicate that again. 6 p.m. start. I know it's a weekend, a little difference, but I was going to the games back when they had Garnett and Pierce. One of the things I always watched out for with those teams were early starts. Saturday night, right. Friday night games, eight o'clock, and when they were in the East Conference Finals and the NBA Finals, those were eight thirties and nine. So you got the, the place was rocking already when you had everyone getting boozed up. But the early start on Sunday, I'm going to be interested to see if the crowd can replicate what they did on Friday night because there have been times in the past. I remember going back to 2011. They played Miami. I was there Saturday night, Game Three. Place went bonkers. Game Four was on a Monday night. It was a seven o'clock place was like 80% full until midway through the first quarter. So I, I tell you, give this a heads up. Yeah, this is for me. Watch the crowd early on in Sunday. I would, I'd be somewhat surprised, pleasantly surprised, of course, from my biases. I'd be somewhat surprised if the crowd replicates what they did on a Friday night into a Sunday night 6 p.m. start. Yeah, I, I think the whole key, though, for the Hawks in that is they've dealt with it. They, they took that blow. They, they, you know, they dealt with that crowd. Uh, and, and although they lost the game, you can say they survived it because, like I said, they, they erased a 20 point deficit. Um, they came back, uh, had a brief lead, you know, a couple bad possessions down the stretch, and maybe that's even a difference game. So I, I, that's what I want to watch, uh, in, in game four is, you know, they, they've learned to deal with that now. It was an initial blow. Uh, but I think that's, that will be the advantage of the Hawks is they dealt with it already. Yeah, I remember the Hawks made the big run. It was just like the Celtics in Game One. I mean, they did get over the hump, just like the Celtics, but it was briefly. It was, but it's just so hard for the right. road team to close the deal when they get down that big and they spend that much energy coming back. Both Atlanta and Boston, when they made their charges in Games One, Atlanta in Game Three, they had brief, you know leads briefly, but you just can't right. blame the Hawks for falling into that trap. I know we got the nerd portion of the our audience that are just rolling their eyes at you and me for not discussing screenshots of <laughs> failed Atlanta closeouts on Isaiah Thomas now that we've spent the first half of this chat discussing the impact people in the in the uh, stands who buy tickets for this series. But there really is something to that. You know, the home you look at stuff like home teams are like 84% in Game 7s. I can't wait till players are running around with iPhones attached to their arm or microchips in them so we can measure their enhanced neural <laughs> pathways or hormonal levels or what their heart level rate is in certain venues or when they play at home. <laughs> like Jonas Jarepko's testosterone levels are higher in Boston, and that's uh, he had the rebounding, and his averages are higher than that a game. But a key reason for his game last night – 
Stevens, Stevens loves him. I watch games, some games, the games on the road, unlike being at home. But I mean, like earlier, in the, earlier in the series, and I, I felt like he stunk. But Chris Forsberg was on last week's show, and then he goes in. Yeah, then you look at the box score, and he's a positive, and it's his defense was really right. on display Friday night. Derepko's defense positive rating the entire series. Only Celtic to do so. Is that really just his length and his athleticism and his ability to close out? The reason why he's having so much success guarding either Millsap or closing out on the guards. I saw some sh- screenshots with Teague. What did you see Friday night with him? Yeah, I mean, defensively he was very good. He's such he's athletic a lot more, uh, a lot more so than you know Jared Sullinger, and that gives the Hawks problems because that's what their big men are. That kind of athletic, you know, long guys like that. So I think that was an issue. He certainly brought energy. They had to respect him from the three-point range if you want to look offensively at what he was able to do because they really did spread the floor much better. And I think the issues in game one and two were the Hawks packed the paint, you know, tried to meet Isaiah Thomas at the rim, uh, and now they couldn't do that as much because there was somebody capable of knocking down a shot or two. Uh, and he had 12 rebounds in game three. He was the only guy that had a double-double, so that was big. I think he had a couple big uh, offensive rebounds that helped. Um, so yeah, he was, he was a nice wrinkle to add. Um, I, I always take the plus minus. It's an interesting thing because like Kyle Corver is one of the best, you know, Hawks plus minus and he was third in the Eastern conference this year, um, with his plus minus number. So you always take that kind of with a grain of salt because he's got a reputation of not being a good defender. But, uh, but I just think, yeah, Jonas had a very positive impact in that game. The Celts are really keying in on Paul Millsap. You made that point in the pregame show after he won 11 or 1 of 12 to game two. Either way, one of the worst games in his ever in a Hawks uniform. So really, what are they doing? Is it just the fact that they have a lot of these players with they, they can match his quickness? I know he's a big boy, but he's so athletic. Crowder played great defense on him in game one, I thought. Is this yeah. sort of how to check him with some more athletic guys like Jarepko and Crowder than rather than a big burly someone like Sullinger and Burley is a nice word for for Selinger, by the way. You know what I was referencing right. there. <laughs> uh, it seems to be. I mean, I I, I watched it very closely because he was three and nine from the field for eight points in Game Three, uh, and that's you know just not what the Hawks need out of him. I talked to him before that game. He wanted to be more aggressive and drive. I think he tried that, but uh, there were always Celtics standing in front of him, um, and so you know he then turns to trying to find the open man, but. Um, I think it's two things. I'd ask, I asked the Hawks coach Boonholzer about it. Uh, he says just what you said, that they've got, the Celtics have got some long athletic guys who can stay with him. That's an issue. Uh, they do like some of the shots he's getting. They're just not falling. Um, but it's clear that he's frustrated, uh, you know, wanting to, wanting to contribute and, and, and the Celtics are putting a roadblock up in front of him time and time again. But I just think the way they're able to defend him with those almost carbon copy type guys is a big, is it has a big impact. Is it really just as easy to say that the way for Atlanta to counter that outside of maybe hoping that Millsap just seems to go off, but is it as easy to say to, for Atlanta to counter that is just hope that Kent Bazemore continues to make shots. And likewise, Kyle Corver doesn't replicate his game one. Yeah, because I think that's what the, I think that's the Celtic strategy. Look, we're going to stop him. If Kent Bazemore beats us, Kent Bazemore beats us. If Kyle Korver hits some threes, then we'll, then we'll deal with that. Uh, and that's kind of been the case, although uh, Bazemore did have 20 points in, in game three, but uh, they held him in check in, in game two. Um, but it was Korver that beat him. Um, and that comeback, obviously, in game three was a lot because Korver hit some threes. Uh, but that appears to be 
their strategy, which to me means the, a lot of the onus has got to fall on Al Horford as the other big guy to hit some of those mid-range shots that he can make um, and maybe hit a three or two, which he's been known to do during the, during the season, uh, because I think everything else is kind of, you know, status quo. Um, but I think to me, it's clear, you know, Kent Bazemore has got to make some shots. Is there anything else that you sort of, I know you referenced it a little earlier in our chat, but is there anything else that you really think that Atlanta should try to do? And this is a very general question, but sort of letting you sort of have mm-hmm. a floor on what you think the Hawks should do in games four and five. And likewise, if there is a six or seven, but we'll, what then we get there. Sure. You know, what I thought was interesting in game three. Uh, I think part of it had to do with Kyle Korver getting into foul trouble, but they did go to that two point guard with Dennis Schroeder and Jeff Teague. Uh, because when the Celtics go so small, uh, then they have to counter with that. And when the Celtics go that small, that means like a Kent Bazemore can't guard, you know, Isaiah Thomas, which they had an Oratabo Cephalosha can't guard him, which was an advantage, I think, in games one and two. Uh, but I thought that was very interesting. And I think it helped kind of fuel that third quarter comeback a little bit when they were able to have those two speedy point guards on the floor at the same time. I think it'd be really interesting if they continue that strategy uh, because it was effective. So that's the storyline of the day, storyline of yesterday with the news coming down. I just got to ask you, though, did, did you, what did you see live from your awesome seat in the press row there? <laughs> you know, I didn't, I didn't actually see it. I, I didn't see, uh, I didn't see uh, Thomas hit at him. Um, I saw the scrum after, after, you know, the foul, and then, you know, they review it for the double technicals. Uh, but in fact, the incident I never saw until it started going crazy on my Twitter feed. Uh, and then I started seeing the videos of it. Um, and then it became clear to me, at least there was some kind of, you know, there was, there was contact there. Um, and that precipitated a lot of it. I think both players had some really interesting comments after the game about, about it. Uh, but you know, from where you sit kind of in the corner there in the garden, uh, and trying to keep track of, uh, a bunch of things. I never actually saw it happen live. And a lot of the Hawks players said afterwards that they did not either. So, um, but both, both, both Schroeder and Thomas were certainly angry. Yeah. Where do you sort of come down on that? That's sort of been a lot of the big topic discussion, not just, you know, what did he do or what happened? Should this have happened? But just every single analyzation of, I see, I've always been really upset about the, uh, just the overanalyzation of, I don't want to, I don't want to say violence, but it seems, right. I don't want to say it seems, but as we all know, since 2004, since the malice in the palace, every yeah. single thing that happens that's a quote unquote non basketball play is pretty much diagnosed as a crime against humanity. If, you, if you're one of the old, old schools, 80, 90s, even early 2000s basketball fan, you're sort of like, listen, this is removing emotion from the game. If there's chippy stuff like that, it's fine, but at the same time, do you sort of say, well, the malice in the palace was set off by a little shove, I believe, to Ben Wallace. Where do you think – were you kind of okay with just the analyzation of of a play like that, which at at worst is just a slightly dirty play? Yeah, no, that it bothers me. I mean, they had three lengthy reviews to see if things were flagrant, and to me it just – Oh, yeah, the one on the pump after a while, with was just like, come on. Right, and to me it was just like um, – they're so afraid to get it wrong, um, you know, that they just overreact. And that's what kills it to me. It just slows the game down. It's ridiculous. You know, most of the time, although they did upgrade three of them to flagrants, um, you know, and it's so hard to tell when you're slowing it down so much, did he really mean to come across the guy's head or if he just touches the head 
all of a sudden that makes it flagrant. Um, to me, like I, I want the players to be safe. I understand. To me, it's sometimes it's just an overreaction of the officials to make sure they get it right that we have to stand there and watch, you know, 15 minutes of them looking at us play frame by frame. And I, don't, I personally don't mind a little dirtiness. Listen, obviously you can't have these fights that's spilling <laughs> on the crowd. That's a lawsuit waiting to happen, especially with there's a lot of lawyers, I would assume, in the front row. The biggest thing, I mean, if you want to talk about little agitations, I know Marcus Smart did a flop uh, off of Kyle Corver oh, where he man. jumped. He looked like he was jumping into a Chuck E. Cheese ball pit. and that it's, So that, I, I think I have a, a far bigger problem with are the flops. And right. I appreciate the NBA being very vigilant with that because that's that stuff came over from Europe, the Dukies coming in here. Guys, it, I, I, I think of soccer when I think of flopping. I think of guys leaving, right. the, leaving, the, leaving the field on gurneys and then coming back and doing cartwheels and backflips after they score a goal about 45 <laughs> seconds later. So that I'm happy with. I, I, the smart flopping is beyond irritating to me. Little dirty plays like that, little punches, I got no problems with. I, I Actually, I like it. I think it brings a lot of emotion to the game. One of the other ways to look after the Celtics won that game is it extends the series, really. Uh, but how about this? The longer this series goes, who do you think it favors? Atlanta is the better team, but there's also the possibility, you know, you finally saw in Isaiah Thomas, he made some shots for the first time in, in a few weeks, really. Uh, you know, your body can recover better during the NBA playoffs. Uh, and, I, and I know even you know, Viv, you aren't catching red eyes in three different time zones during the course <laughs> of the week. But players, they can recover from injury. I, I, you, you've seen it maybe possibly with Isaiah Jay Crowder has been operating on a real bad reel, and that showed he's given the Celtics you know, a lot of defense. But honestly, what I've watched from him, he's like 35% of the player he was on offense since he returned from that high ankle sprain. You know, Maybe he can get a little better over the course of the series, and maybe Boston gets a miracle return from Olenek and Bradley. Is there that train of thought in the Hawks' mind to put more that much more of an emphasis on a quick kill and a follow-up? Back with what I initially stated before I started rambling here, because you say the longer this series goes, the more it, right. it would favor the Celtics, even despite the fact that a seventh game would still be played in Phillips if we ever got to that point. Right. I mean, just naturally, the longer this goes, the, and, and there's a bigger chance that the Celtics can, can steal one in in, in Phillips, um, uh, and that would become obviously an issue to take home court advantage away. And now, if you, you know, you're looking to close out Game Six. In Boston, in front of that crowd, that would be really be something. So, yeah, I mean, especially after the way the Hawks started, you know, you want to home, you want to, you want to hold court at home, and they did that. Uh, it was the way they did it in Game Two, I think, that made people think, look, they they need to put this team away. Uh, especially again, you, who knows if Avery Bradley comes back because you've given him more time to heal. Um, and so, yeah, I think just having been around the Hawks. And knowing sometimes they can lose games they shouldn't at home, uh, the longer you let the Celtics hang around, the, the closer it might get. All right, so here we go. It is the pregame show after all. We kind of crunched <laughs> it in this week, seven. I know you love this question, especially since you are undefeated in predictions here, not just these playoffs, but going way back yonder the regular season, all of 15 days ago when the Celts were in Atlanta for the Hawks' home finale. You're undefeated on these airwaves on CLNS, so tonight, no question about it, it's the pivotal game of the series. If the Celtics win, we could be looking at a seven-gamer here if teams continue to hold serve at home. Boston is favored, believe it or not, still, but just one-and-a-half-point favors. But if Atlanta wins... You can put the bow on this one. I'd be willing to bet anything right. the Hawks wrap it up Tuesday night if that were the case. So what's happening tonight in Boston? Yeah, see, I'm going to go back to I think the Hawks are going to pull this one out in a close one. Uh, Celtics is shorthanded. I think the Hawks learned a valuable lesson on, A, you know, how to play in front of that crowd, and, again, just what it means. So uh, I'm going to give the nod to the Hawks in this one in a close one. 
Big thing to watch for. Can the Celtics crowd at a 6 p.m. start be as raucous as they were for an 8 p.m. on a Friday? No, and you got to work tomorrow. But Chris Vivlamore, Hawks beat reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, <laughs> can follow him on Twitter at CVivlamoreHAC. Chris, thank you once again. Not too far away from becoming an official Scene Honest Radio contributor at this point. <laughs> there we go. Well, I'm, I'm proud to do it. Chris Vivlamore, once again, catch you soon. Back on the other side of the break with Justin Poulin. You're listening to Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. Hey, this is Larry H. Russell here, critically acclaimed author and host of Celtics Beat. And I'm privileged to be joined by Daryl Conant, former U.S. Olympic Committee strength coach and one of the leading strength and condition specialists in America. Daryl, thanks so much for being here. It's great to be here, Larry. Thank you. Daryl, you're a student of the legendary bodybuilder Vince Gironda. Tell me a bit more about Vince. Vince Gironda was considered the pioneer of pure natural bodybuilding. His training methods and nutritional concepts are still being incorporated in many gyms throughout the world today, and I had the privilege myself of having him as my mentor. How can we learn more about the methods of the Iron Guru? As a student of Vince Gironda, I always wanted to give back to Vince in some way. I wrote a book entitled Invincible that depicts many of Vince's programs and nutritional theories that he taught me. For more information on this book, folks can visit my website at www.darylcurrent.com. Daryl, Vince had so many methods and ideas for achieving optimal health. Care to share any while we're here? One of Vince's most popular nutritional concepts was his recommendation of eating organic, grass-fed beef to build muscle. Organic red meat is loaded with nutrients necessary for building quality muscle. As Vince would always say to me, you must eat the type of food that the muscle is made out of, red meat. Get on that path of effortless fat loss and optimal health by following the appropriate nutritional methods. And get it from the country's leading organic meat brand, American Farmers Network at AmericanFarmersNetwork.com. Episode number 154 of Celtics Beat is brought to you by SeatGeek. Have you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? Most sites make it complicated, and they all try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. That is why you need to try SeatGeek. They are the best ticketing app available in buying and selling sports and concert tickets because of their honesty. The price you see is the price you pay. And every ticket on SeatGeek is ranked based on value. There's more. Before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your potential seat. Tonight is Game 4 of the 2016 NBA playoffs at the TD Garden, and this may be the last time fans can catch the Celtics in Boston for the next six months. There's not a better time to get yourself to tonight's huge NBA playoff game in Boston. Listeners, you get a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. Here's how. Download the free SeatGeek app, go to the Settings tab, and click Add a Promo Code, and enter promo code CELTICSBEAT, all one word, and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Experience the NBA playoffs and more. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code CELTICSBEAT today. This is Tass Mellis, host of The Starters on NBA TV. This is Celtics Beat, brought to you by American Farmers Network. Back here on Celtics Beat, first off, thanks to all those who participated in our latest ticket giveaway and those who left a rating and review on iTunes. Really appreciate it, especially since they were all kind words. That means a lot to us in a small way. That's 
Very beneficial to what we do here week in and week out these last four-plus years. I really appreciate those reviews. We'll have more contests in the future for sure. More tickets to give away, but we're kind of running out of time this season. I'm not going to lie there. Would love if anyone who hasn't left a review and given us a rating, please do so. Safe to say that will not be the last contest we have. We will use the subscribe, rate, and review deal, if you will. So you can get in future giveaways now by simply subscribing, rating, and reviewing Celtics Beat on iTunes. Sounds complicated, but it's not. It's three easy steps. takes 20 seconds. Trust me. In the words of Tommy Heinsohn, way back yonder, bing, bang, boom. By the way, major shout-out to a fan who hits me up on Twitter or Facebook who knows what I'm referencing there. Tell you something that won't take 20 seconds. That do this man no justice for all the insight that he has to offer, both here as a guest <laughs> and on his podcast of his own. He and his co-host, John Duke, host Celtic Stuff Live every Monday a.m. on clnsradio.com. Justin Poulin, welcome back in, dude. Hope Happy you're here with me at this hour. Yeah, no, my pleasure, Larry. I wasn't sure where we were going with the 20-second comment, but, uh, you know, the Celtics uh, Celtics have been entertaining this season, but I think they're running out of gas, and, you know, I guess we'll see, because they certainly put on a show Friday night. Yeah, they're definitely more so than running out of gas, but let's go to Friday night. Now that the news has come down on Isaiah Thomas, now all of a sudden lost in that 42-point game that he had Friday night, Isaiah got off the schneid and then some, Been you know, for the longest time it seemed like he was rebuilding the pyramids in the first two games against Atlanta and those final three regular season games against the Hornets, Heat, and the Hawks again. As you know, He had the wrist injury, but Jay Crowder offensively, again, another miserable night shooting the basketball. Kind of want to let you loose to tear anyone you wish apart for the Celts going balls to the wall at the tail end of the regular season. When you were on your show, me here, you even posed this question to Steve Ballpett on an episode you guys did a few weeks ago, and I suggest our audience to check it out if they haven't already. You and John are vindicated for what you were pitching to Ballpett back a few weeks ago. Well, first off, I don't think they would like to be playing Atlanta. They would much rather be playing Miami or Charlotte. This was the worst draw for them matchup-wise, and it took Brad Stevens to to pull out the Jarebko out of the his bag of tricks in terms of lineups, I can tell you heading into Friday night's game, I was not happy about – it wasn't that Jarebko was in the lineup, but I didn't think Marcus Smart should come out. One of the matchup advantages for the Celtics in this series is the backcourt, and they've already lost Avery Bradley. Uh, the advantage for Atlanta is the frontcourt. So I, I was a little upset – or not upset, but I just didn't – I was thought it was curious to put Marcus Smart – on the bench. However, it worked. I'm not sure it's going to work every game. I'm not sure it's going to work every game. The Hawks are going to adjust to this. Jarebko is just not going to be able to be Swedish Larry Bird with 11 points and 12 rebounds. And And rebounding was was a surprise. Yeah, it was was also. And the defense, too. Although defensively, you know, Chris Forsberg and I think he'll stick the course on that. I think he'll stick. I think the fact that he's able to switch and and guard multiple positions is a strength for for Jarebko. I think the defense... He can keep that up. I just don't think that rebounding and and necessarily. I mean, look at how many how many shots he missed earlier in the series when he was coming in off the bench. I mean, he can hit them. He rode the home crowd Friday night. He did. He absolutely did. But I was going to go exactly where you went, which was to Jay Crowder. He's still not a hundred percent, and I don't think resting Jay Crowder would have made him any more ready for the playoffs. I think Isaiah Thomas could have used a break. I definitely think some of the starters could have used a break. Even even in Avery Bradley, you have to wonder if that hammy, is, it, it just came from all the minutes he was playing. And, uh, you know, it, if you watch the replay, 
You know, that looks like a use injury to me. It is. You know, there was nothing agree. Uh, there was nothing really that stood out about the way he landed that would have caused his hammy, you know, to pop or have a major strain. Uh, you know, and it looks like after the reports Friday night that he's feeling better. But I just think, you know, a lot of these guys could have used a little bit of a break. Here's Kelly Olynyk now. He's not playing in games. His shoulder's still bothering him. It has been bothering him since the All-Star break. I mean, the team all of a sudden went from being very healthy for the most part, except for Marcus Smart at the start of the season, to all of a sudden being really banged up. Uh, Jay Crowder, conditioning-wise, and I said this on that show with Steve Bullpett after we, we hung up with Steve and John and I talked, I said, I think Jay Crowder needs to play because I think he needs to get back into conditioning. But I, other than him, I think players should be resting, and, and, and I stand by that. I think, I think we, are, we are seeing a team that had a lot of fight Friday night. But for the most part, you know, Jarebko opened things up for Thomas, but I think Thomas just played better. I mean, Steven said Thomas is getting to the places that he wants to get to on the floor, but he wasn't finishing strong once he got there. Now he's finishing strong again. And quotes earlier in the season was he was afraid to land on it because that's when it hurts. And that, of course, compensates the way you run, the way you walk, the way you jump. I was just didn't like at the very end of the year because you mentioned how the team was healthy all year. And to an extent, they were at least from the outside vantage point. But even from us outsiders, you could see the team sputtering there at the end. And it certainly was not worth grinding out those last few wins. I know Steve Bullpett was talking about you got to have momentum going into the playoffs. I'm sorry. Momentum means absolutely nothing if you got guys running around 75, 80 percent when it counts. Why? If you have guys that are 100 percent in February and March, you want to have them in, as 100% in April and May, the same way the San Antonio Spurs do. Yes, this team's not going as deep as the Spurs are, but at the same time, you're also, if you look at it that way, you're also hindering long-term, or you run the risk of potentially hurting these long-term assets that this team has. And I also love the reasoning that John brought up about the draft pick and finishing six in the conference. Like it always ties yeah. back. It always ties back to the draft with him. Yeah, well, it does because he's he loves the draft, and you know, it's no uh, no coincidence that the very first show he was ever on Celtic Stuff Live before we made him a guest was on our draft night show when he was writing for Boston uh, Boston Media Sports Watch. But what I will say, um, it, you know, it, just in terms of resting players, who knows if those last three four games of rest would have really made a difference? But we do how, know it, that it's likely making a difference in the in the other way, though. Yes, and well, can't say, oh well, we don't know. So and go out there and they, play, and who they matched up against. Because there's a reason that teams like to play half court. Uh, this team was destined to run out of gas. Just what are they third in the league in pace of play? And then you look at how hard they play, especially out on the perimeter. It's not just you know setting their feet and banging around in the paint. There's a lot of movement on the perimeter, a lot of switching, and the pace of play is really high. There's a lot of streaking down the court to score. So in terms of possessions per game, they're up. They're putting a lot more miles, I guess, on their legs than maybe you know other teams like I think Cleveland plays. You know they slow it down sometimes. You definitely see the Spurs slow it down. Uh, for a defensive-minded team, they probably put the most miles on their legs. And so you got to think with that pace of play that that guys do need rest. And it was supposed to be an advantage for this team that they had so much depth. But at that the depth is gone. 
It's you gone. Just look at the box score, and you see in Rogier major minutes. Jarepko obviously starting. I was when I was looking at that was the first thing I did when I checked Saturday morning. I obviously I watched the game a little later in the day, uh, but the first thing I did when I woke up Saturday morning at around like two thirty was I checked the box score, and I said, you know, I saw they won, and it just jumped out at me with all the minutes that those guys were getting. I was like, good God, look at this. Jarepko starting. Rogier playing seventeen minutes, I believe. R.J. Hunter got some minutes in the second quarter there. Had a big bucket on the fast break, I believe. Even he locked you know, seven minutes. I'm looking. I'm like, my God, that's just not a second round team when you look when you look at the guys that were playing despite the win the guys that were playing in that third game I will agree with that but one thing I will say in terms of bright spots bright spots and looking to the future is I think Terry Rozier's uh, confidence and comfort level on the court is a surprise for a rookie, he's very composed when he's playing his minutes. So that could be a they nice They brought thing. him along nicely all year in they terms did. of, you know, just you know, utilizing up in Maine, then slowly breaking him in. He's, t- you know, he's jumped on with the injuries and everything. I, they've done a – I hated the pick, and I actually know less than nothing about college basketball. I just hated how the whole process of that night went. But he has come along very nicely this year, and I'm also very biased against him because I'm one of those freak paleo dieters, of course, and I see him that he tells me that his favorite food is some, like, sugary drench – like uh sub of pasta so i'm i'm i just assume like oh he doesn't get it how i want to stick with this injuries thing though did you see the quote that brad stevens had i think it was before the game because the celtics of all teams they tweeted it out did you see that quote that he had about how it's a linux decision if he wants to play yes yes am i the only one who's just not a fan of that from all all the way around i guess it i guess it kind of depends because you know, only what I think what Brad's intent is to say, only Kelly can tell us if there's too much pain for him to play, right? It's self-reported. There's no way like that it, they though. can say, okay, he's fine. Now, putting that aside, if he has range of motion and he's not going to tears and they're in the playoffs and there's no, according to the medical staff, no long-term potential for Kelly Olynyk to, to hurt himself or make it worse – then he probably should play. But here's what's really, really interesting. Here we talk about not sacrificing the future. Maybe he shouldn't play. Exactly. So the medical exactly. staff medical staff needs to say, okay, in context, is this something that could cost Kelly Olenek, you know, his offseason routine? Because look, Jarebko is doing as much as Olenek's gonna do when Olenek's in pain exactly. at this point. So just stick with the Swedish Larry Bird. Let Olenek get healthy, and then hopefully by the time June rolls around, Olenek can do his normal offseason workout. Another theme that John and I talked about quite a bit on the show because of all the flack that Marcus Smart was receiving earlier in the year was just look at it. Marcus Smart has not had a normal offseason workout yet. Last year, he went into the offseason, and he was injured, and so he was recovering you know, what we need is for these players to go into the offseason and work on expanding their game and being able to do things or improve upon things that they're not doing well now so that when they start next season, there's an improvement and there's another trick in Brad Stevens' bag. Obviously, we want Marcus Smart to be shooting three-pointers, but Kelly Olenek needs to work on his post game. We've seen a lot more finesse moves from him in the post, so now we need to see a little bit more aggressive uh, play down there, and aggressiveness comes with confidence, which comes with reps and comes with practice. And so that's a major thing for Kelly in the offseason. I think we can get by without him. But if there's no long-term damage and he's going to need two or three weeks for to heal and then he can go normally in and he thinks he can play and he can play through the pain and he can be productive on the floor, then i got no problems with him playing. 
Shoulder injuries, I know, though, can lead to long-term damage, especially if it's your joints and everything. You compensate for that. No way. The next thing you know, you've got a, you got a, ro- you got a rotator cuff injury. Uh, this is why I hated it. It's because one, there was one, first off, I, I know the way Stevens worded it wasn't his intention, but don't leave it on your player to kind of make him look like a jackass and say, oh, it's Kelly's decision that he's not playing because that's how some, those words could have been interpreted. And two, that is what the medical staff is for. They should be gauging all these things, and they should be gauging any potential long-term injuries if they could see that and say, no, if he plays, he's risking his future. And quite frankly, the future of this team is just far more important than what right now is. I'm sorry. I mean, if this team winning a playoff series, I know people say, oh, well, if they win a playoff series, that makes them look better to Kevin Durant or playoff experience. Uh, I'm all for that, but not on. Not when it comes to, you know, throwing away assets that are on your team and what they have because you're not going to be able to get certain players and trades if you're kind of blowing them away and getting them hurt in playoff games though what about that article I sort of came under I don't want to say it came under a little heat because that certainly wasn't my intention I've been upset at the medical staff of the Celtics for years and years and years you've talked about it as well this sort of goes back to my whole thing with Kevin Garnett when that was so obvious to anyone who was watching where if people who are watching something on TV can realize something's wrong with Kevin Garnett and that staff doesn't where do you sort of? I'm going to let you sort of have the floor on that because by now anyone who's listening sort of knows where I stand. <laughs> no doubt, and we've talked about this on a on an appearance earlier in the year. Maybe not as much in depth as we are uh, today, but what I will say is my stance on the medical staff is, um, you know, they're not always going to get it right. And as much as medicine is a science, it's not a hard science. There's still a lot of gray area in there. At the end of the day, though. Uh, as far as how the players are treated, um, I wonder what the conditioning program is. You hear a lot of stuff about, you know, Tom Brady's workout and how it's all focused on pliability, you know, and I, I guess the approach or the consideration would be, especially when you look at somebody like Avery Bradley is, are they, it's, once the injury happens, it happens, right? And, and you can't predict people's bodies and what kinds of injuries they're going to have. But what you can do is you can train the staff. Uh, I mean, you, the training staff can work with the players on the type of activities that are going to help reduce injury and, the other thing is it comes down to the player to be honest about whether or not they have an issue with, you know, pain and tweaks. And, you know, is this something that you can play through or is this something you can't play through? But at the end of the day, you know, I wonder how much they're doing on injury prevention training. And if they are going to keep up this pace of play, Larry, that needs to be an area of strength, not adequate, not keeping up with, you know, what the industry standard is, but it has to be ahead of that. Because what they're demanding of the, the the players in terms of, again, pace of play and the way that when they do attack the basket, the way they come down. I mean, a lot of these, you can't prevent bone bruises, but you can prevent, you know, you can prevent injuries. You can strengthen the shoulder. You know, you can definitely stretch and, and protect the hamstring. You can promote there, recovery. That's my biggest And you can promote here. recovery. I mean, and, you shouldn't be keep running. Do what the Spurs do. We not know that the regular season is widely irrelevant, and that if just as long as you're and good minutes. enough, you're gonna be in the postseason. And stop me just worrying, especially when you're not a championship team. Why is this team so obsessed with trying to win every single game? And listen, if they're in the playoffs, they're in the playoffs. I'm happy, and I do want them to play as hard as they can every single night. But there's no reason to be trotting out players who have nagging injuries in January and February. And I'm not saying that happened this year, but in but prior did, years, the Garnett thing. Yeah, go ahead. It did in March. It did in March. It did in March. March and it did in April. A crucial time, 
and they were fighting for the third seed. So I understand why they did that. But but at the end of the day, there was no result. And when you got to the postseason, you know, I understand they want as many home court series as possible. But it was pretty much a foregone conclusion when Jay Crowder went down that they weren't going to get the one or the two. So it was very likely they were only going to have one series at home. And at that point, to your point, why not rest those guys a little bit, give some guys the extended time? I thought they actually gave Kelly Olenek plenty of time off. And now here we are, and he's not healed, and now they're giving him more time off. So, you know, on the one hand, we can't talk about we can't talk about this and, and stab at them from both sides of the conversation. I thought Jay Crowder had an adequate number of, uh, amount of time Ooh, off. I disagree with that. High ankle so, sprain? So you I mean, think I'm no doctor, but I know from just watching the NFL, these guys need a month. If that was the same injury that they had, high ankle sprain, that's a month. He came back in, what, 10 days? Was it only 10? It was not one. He got hurt on a Friday night. He got hurt on a Friday night against Houston. So they missed that whole next week, and then he came back on a Wednesday, right? Or a Thursday. So, so, let me, that was so Larry, but let me days. ask you this then with Jay Crowder. Where do you see, like, do you think Jay Crowder is not at not as good defensively? Do you think he's not? He's actually playing okay defense in this I series. think so, yeah. too. The only issue weird. that he's I see. Us, yeah. So the only issue I see with Jay Crowder since that injury, honestly, that's really glaring, is the fact that he can't hit down a shot. And he's not really attacking the basket. He's not taking, you know, when he receives the pass, he's not taking his man off the dribble just a little bit, turning the corner, and then bullying his and way that's, to the so basket. And that's the NBA. The NBA is the difference between a fraction of a step is the difference between you getting by your man or not. And there's what an injury does. I, and I agree with that. But I'm not sure that we're really seeing Jay Crowder. I mean, other than the first step to go to the basket, the shot is – He's just off his rhythm. You know, he worked really hard this year to add True, that to his game. True, but once again, shooting is all muscle memory. So if you sometimes have just a little thing wrong at some point in your body that you count on, because everyone's shot in the NBA is just, like, identical. It's, it's freaky. It's almost it's like swinging a golf club. It's a jump I shot agree. in the same way. So if but something's also, a little bit off, you compensate it from some manner. And I that's agree. really messy. Go ahead. I agree, but it's also a rhythm thing. And when he had the time off, it took him out of his rhythm. Regardless of the ankle sprain, he ought to be able to hit some of those shots. I understand why he's not taking the pass and getting by his man and bullying his way to the basket. That makes perfect sense to me. But but the outside shot at this point, you know, I I think I think it has nothing to do with his ankle. I, I understand, you know, making the move to the basket, he's just not quite as quick, so he knows he can't go to it. But as far as the shot, I think it's a rhythm thing. I think the time off and the pain and trying to get himself back into a rhythm, he's just not a natural shooter, right? That's obviously something that he worked on to develop. I think he just got taken out of his rhythm, and he's having a hard time finding it again. I'm not sure that that's injury-related. Mm, I wouldn't. I would. I would lean the other way, and I'm also tremendously biased. I'm still. I still have the nightmares of 2009 left in me for how badly they butchered that Kevin Garnett thing when they kept trotting out a limping Kevin Garnett in January and early February, and it's like, uh, what are these, you know, knuckleheads doing? And sure enough, they. I don't want to say they ruined his career, but they they ruined that season and they ruined the next season. So I'm still a little ticked off of how that <laughs> went down. I'll never forget. I'll never forget him. Well, hold on a second. All right, so we're talking about all these injuries and everything. So a lot of these guys have excuses for things that aren't going maybe as well as it did during the prime of the season. But what is Jared Sullinger's excuse? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I also don't like how the fact that the Celtics can't seem to get him in good enough shape. Well, we talk about good enough shape, but, you know, if you look at him, 
you know, he's had a history of injuries. I mean, when they drafted him, he had the back problem. And he actually stayed healthy this year, and largely this because he was on a minutes restriction. I mean, that's not going to have to be a minutes restricted player at 24, he was 25 on a minutes years old. Restriction, or do you think they were just playing different people? Mm, well, you're right. He's not on a minutes restriction, but they also know at the same time they can't play him more than 25 minutes in a game, or else yeah, it's well, an injury rating to happen, or he also doesn't have the stamina or endurance to play 30. He's plus. not effective enough anyway. Yeah. I mean, my issue with Jared Sullinger, you know, it, and especially. Especially in this series, it's really coming out. But, you know, if he doesn't play just the way he wants to play, this is why Stevens is such a master, right? He puts, for 25 minutes a game, Stevens can make Sullinger look really effective. And Sully can kind of play the way he wants to play. And every once in a while, I will give him this. When Sully hits that shot that's just a step, step, step and a half inside the three-point line, you know, he's pretty confident shooting that. And he knocks it down sometimes at crucial times. But if he's not playing just the way he wants to play, he has an enormously difficult time contributing to the team. And this Atlanta series and the mobility of their bigs and the way that they're pulling them all around. It's irrelevant. It's, and it's killing. And Stevens, I mean, I was surprised Stevens kept going to him in game one. I mean, I <laughs> I'd yep, be surprised he even got eleven minutes. When they brought him back, in, when they yeah, when they brought him back in game one, I mean, I was it was it was clearly evident. I think going back to that last regular season game, I, it's almost like Sullinger's like a situ- he's a situational game. player. I don't want to call him a he situational. Is, and- he's almost uh, is he sort of like the the left handed man out of the bullpen or something like a Tony Larusa left hand or bullpen type of guy. And I want to give him that, that type of credit, but he is a, a situational player in a sense. There are matchups that he cannot <laughs> be in. And you and I talked about his value as rebounds, and Jarebko totally replaced his rebounding contributions in the game in game three. And in, to your point, I was it was amazing to see Sullinger start game two. It was so obvious in the second half of game one when they rolled out not Sullinger to start the second half. Um that that it was it was obvious it was obvious that things were getting clogged up with with Sully and Johnson out there. I wonder how Sullinger is taking this right now. How is he dealing with eleven minutes in Game Three? Yeah, I know because he's a restricted free agent. And it's probably the, hey, how do you think Tyler Zeller felt going into this season? They were talking about him being a ten million dollar a year contract Great guy, point. and he brought it away in the bench. But you just really can't think about that too much. It's all about the team. It's all about yep. it's all about uh, all about eighteen. Not really. Not 11 really. minutes is not a good showing for your free agent, you know, free agent uh, prospects. It's not. Last question. Make this real quick. Season already a success now that they got the playoff win Friday night. No. No, not at all. Uh, I think the season itself was a success. I think there were a lot of things that the team learned. But, I, I, I you know, you've got to have a postseason win. I know they got swept last year, but they played Cleveland. So it was sort of acceptable, um, and and I understand the injuries, and there's lots of excuses here, but you really got to win a series for the season to be a success. If, you, if you're otherwise, why not just be in the lottery, right? There's two picks in the lottery. You know, you maybe get a shot at winning. You got to win. You got to win a playoff series. I think the t- I think that the team is learning a lot from being in the playoffs. But at some point, you're capping out on how much you can learn from experience versus how much you're going to learn from performance. And this team still needs to win this series against Atlanta. I think if they take game four, there's a good shot. Maybe they still pull it together. If guys get healthy, maybe they wind up pulling Avery Bradley out by game seven. I think they could take the Hawks game seven on the road, but game one was the one to get, and they let that one slip away. 
Justin Poulin, host of Celtic Stuff Live. You can follow Justin on Twitter at CSL underscore Justin. Want to utilize that shout-out to shift to alert our audience on some programming here on the network. As you already know, Celtic Stuff Live will be back tomorrow up on CLNSRadio.com at around 9 a.m. And, of course, the easiest way, download the CLNS Radio mobile app for your iPhone or Android to get the release of the show. Just like this one, delivered right to your listening device at your convenience. But that's tomorrow, tonight, CLNS Radio's wall-to-wall coverage of the NBA playoffs. You heard the pregame show today with Viv here on this broadcast of Celtics Beat. So after the game, the postgame show goes live, the only one to do so anywhere. And we, well, we as in CLNS Radio, not me, not at that hour, I'm sorry. But the team, they'll take your calls, 347-215-7771. That's 347-215-7771. Tonight's hosts are the founder of the network, Nick Gelso, to go along with Calvin Chamberlain. Nick Sacento running dials and putting the party together again immediately after the game. Head on over to CLNSRadio.com. Hit us up on our Facebook groups if you want to get involved in that capacity. Call in if you want or just listen, whatever fills your bill. And if you miss it live, that show too will be available on the CLNS Radio mobile app on demand whenever. Lastly, the Garden Report, only postgame show shot on the garden floor. That'll be up on the YouTube channel sometime during the night or Early in the morning, actually definitely early in the morning, I saw the Garden Report after Game 3. First thing that jumped out to me was the clock right behind Jared's head that said 1.01 a.m. And they went on for like an hour. I mean, <laughs> Nick's been pushing me over the last few years. we got to get you down there for a Garden Reporter. I'm like, dude, forget it. Not, about, not me at that hour. It would take your life's savings to get me down at the Garden. But anyways, definitely give the CLNS Radio YouTube channel a subscribe. To catch the aforementioned CLNS Celtics locker room reporter Jared Weiss break down tonight's Game 4, as well as provide all the raw and uncut videos from the press table and locker room, youtube.com slash CLNS Radio. That's youtube.com slash CLNS Radio. Maybe the last time of the season you catch Jared. Still no guarantee there's a Game 6 we played in Boston. We hope they do. The fans, actually I do. I sold my tickets for that game. I don't want to give my money back to anyone, so thank you very much. Justin, we're here to wrap this baby up. So put this simple here. Will Game 4 be the last time we see Jared? Because basically I think we can all agree that if the Hawks get this one tonight, you can pretty much put Game 5 in the bank for them. So how's this one going down tonight? No, they're going to win tonight, uh, and they are going to come back and take one. I think they're going to win them all at home. That's my prediction. And one other thing, if this team does dig out a serious victory against Atlanta— that will accomplish everything that needs to be accomplished in this season. It would, and think about what a swing that would be. A gritty, very end of the bench, you know, cast of characters walking around on crutches, pulls out a series win against Atlanta. I think they got some confidence in game three, and I think it's going to carry over to game four. No better way to finish off episode number 154. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Will Rock and Cred FX, Chuck Dietz, and Steph Legrato. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore Beat, and you can like Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio on Facebook to keep up with the show at Facebook.com slash Celtics Beat. Also, Google Plus, Celtics Beat on CLNS. I'd like to thank our guests, Chris Villamore, and you, Justin, as well. Most importantly, our audience for tuning in for yet another week. Shout out to our sponsors today, SeatGeek and American Farmers Network, for all the support they provide this show. For our staff writer, Eddie Santiago, the founder of the network, Nick Jelson, and myself, the executive producer and host of Celtics Beat. I'm Larry H. Russell. See you next Sunday for another edition of Celtics Beat, powered by CLNS Radio.